exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. This is Jorge Fascinetti. This is Dr. Louis Blevins of Pituitary World News podcasting today from San Francisco, California. I just finished a visit uh, with a patient and wanted to share some of the uh, laboratory features of this particular patient with you uh, to use it as a platform to discuss the diagnosis of Cushing syndrome in this, uh, the modern era, if you will. Uh, so uh, obviously the patient's de-identified and I'm not gonna say anything and I'll give away who this particular person is, but this patient um, presented uh, with one and a half years of a number of symptoms, most of them not seemingly related to Cushing syndrome whatsoever. When you picked through the symptoms and signs, you could come up with the fact that uh, the patient had gained 20 pounds in weight in the abdominal area, had some mood changes, easy bruising, and some muscle weakness. No hypertension or diabetes and nothing else suggestive of the disease process. Um, did not look Cushingoid at all. Um, the primary physician uh, felt that way and I agreed with that assessment. Uh, the patient had a number of laboratory studies uh, showing uh, an ACTH of 12.9 and a cortisol of 15.4. However, um, I guess just to be more certain about the diagnosis, a 24-hour urine cortisol was performed and was elevated at uh, 112, uh, normal being up to 50. Uh, the patient had several other urine cortisols checked, and those levels were uh, 63, 81, 64, and 73. Uh, the individual had a series of midnight cortisol uh, levels from saliva. Two of those were elevated, while four were entirely normal. Um, So an MRI of the pituitary is performed showing what was thought to be a microadenoma of the pituitary gland. I reviewed that and thought it was a classic pars intermedia cyst. Certainly there's enough here to suggest the possibility of Cushing syndrome. These urine cortisol levels are not what we'd consider diagnostic, but they're elevated. And we know that some patients will have cortisol levels that are elevated. Um, but not three times normal or two times normal or whatever your cutoff might be. Uh, these are patients with early disease or mild disease. Uh, so this needs to be seriously considered as possible Cushing syndrome. Uh, it was curious to me that only two of the celebrated cortisol levels were elevated while four were normal. Um, leads to the conclusion that it might not be Cushing's at all because patients with Cushing's, unless they have cyclical Cushing's, usually have persistently elevated levels. Uh, these urine cortisol levels are high enough to where you'd expect the salivary cortisol level to always be high at midnight uh, if this patient has Cushing's. And the patient's not showed any evidence based on urine cortisols that they actually have cyclical production of cortisol. Uh, if anything, you'd say this is erratic production of cortisol. But even with a 24-hour urine cortisol of 64, which was the or 63, which was the lowest of the five samples that I mentioned, uh, you would expect to see an elevated salivary cortisol level in that patient. And again, only two of the four were elevated. 
I've done enough celebrate cortisol levels to know that occasionally normal people are going to have high levels as well, and this is just the stress of the possible diagnosis or being up or altered sleep patterns, etc. Lots of us have stress in our life that can raise that uh, late night celebrate cortisol level as well. And I think this patient illustrates that you have to be able to still match the biochemistry with the clinical symptoms and signs. And while this patient had had some weight gain and mood changes, etc., I didn't see anything that looked like it was Cushing syndrome to me. Uh, so further study was indeed needed. Um, so a, an overnight dexamethasone suppression test was performed, and the serum cortisol was 0.9. Uh, after the study and the ACTH was 2.4 indicating there was suppression so they're taking a dose of dexamethasone resulting in adequate inadequate not inadequate but resulting in sufficient I should say levels of dexamethasone showed suppression of ACTH and cortisol indicating that there probably wasn't a pathological process accounting for this patient's hypercortisolism I suspected the patient might be under stress uh, have, or have some other disease process as to me. Uh, the symptoms and signs suggested maybe a cardiac problem more than an adrenal problem. So we proceeded with uh, what you've heard me talk about before, the uh, salivate cortisol profile. And uh, those results, I'll go over those with you just so you can understand how we interpret them. So when I do the profile, I ask patients to obtain two samples in the morning, two samples in the afternoon, and two samples in the evening. And we'll sometimes average the two samples together. But this allows me to draw a graph, if you will. Usually it's in my mind, uh, if it's obvious. If not, I'll sort of actually plot it out on graph paper or using a computer program to do so. Uh, and uh, it allows me to see whether the diurnal variation of cortisol production is normal for a particular patient. As you know, uh, one of the sine qua non features of Cushing's disease or syndrome is a loss of diurnal variation, and this is why the midnight salivary cortisol level works to determine whether or not a patient has Cushing's or not. This patient already had six samples, two of six were abnormal, so one-third of them were abnormal. So I didn't want to, I don't want to do just another simple salivary cortisol profile at nighttime. I want to know what's the cortisol production over the 24-hour period like. The urine cortisol tells you the 24-hour excretion of cortisol, but it's collected urine over, over the entire day. So it doesn't tell you an idea of what urine cortisol or cortisol production rates are during specific times of the day and that's really what the salivary cortisol profile does is it adds here's what the cortisol levels are in the morning here's what they are in the afternoon here's what they are in the evening Uh, and it gives you an idea of whether there's a a perturbation in the normal rhythm of cortisol secretion for most adults cortisol levels rise probably four to eight in the morning Uh, they're half of that in the uh, afternoon and then they're a tenth of that in the evening uh, prior to bedtime. This is a normal rhythm. Patients with Cushing's of any cause have a disruption in this normal rhythm. So my patient did the salivary cortisol levels as planned. At 6 a.m., the level was 0.309. 
at 7 a.m. the level was 0.418. So if you average those together, you get about a 0.35 or a 0.36, uh, which is a normal morning level. The levels in the afternoon um, obtained at noon, it looks like, and then also at 4 p.m. maybe, were 0.051 and 0.079, so an average of 0.06. So this level already in the afternoon is one-sixth or thereabouts of what it was in the morning. And then the levels at... Uh, this looks like 10, no, um, 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. were 0 0.024 and 0 0.023 uh, at those two time frames. Uh, and uh, basically those levels are less than a tenth of what they were in the morning. So this patient has a typical normal diurnal variation in cortisol secretion. And this tells me more than any other test she's had. It tells me that even though her urine cortisol levels have been somewhat elevated, uh, her diurnal variation is preserved. It tells me that even though two of six salivary cortisol levels at midnight were elevated, her diurnal variation has been preserved. And the thing that you have to understand about cyclical Cushing's is that you're usually going to have periods of high cortisol levels and then low cortisol levels or normal cortisol levels. But whatever the cortisol is, it's driven by a tumor and there's no diurnal variation. So a cyclical Cushing's patient would not flip to a normal diurnal variation. And this enables me to diagnose, if you will, pseudo Cushing's or elevated cortisol levels due to stress in life or what have you. And frankly, I think that this patient's cortisol levels are high due to uh, probable cardiac arrhythmia or some other cardiac condition accounting for a majority of the symptoms. And I, I think it's an instructive case on the value and the utility of obtaining a salivary cortisol profile to assess uh, cortisol production throughout the day to see if it matches up to normal rather than looking at a simple midnight salivary cortisol level. Now, some would argue, well, look at your patient's late night salivary cortisol levels. They would sort of indicate the patient did not have Cushing syndrome and that's all you would have needed to do. But the thing is, is that we had the elevated urine cortisols and we had two of six late night salivary cortisol levels that were high, four of six were normal. So this is a test of added value because it tells me that rhythm is normal. And as David Orth and I were discussing 20 years ago, if you have a normal rhythm, you don't have Cushing's. Uh, so I think that, uh, the, as, as he used to say, the sine qua non of Cushing's is an altered diurnal variation. And this test would indicate that this particular patient does not have pathologic hypercortisolism. And you might say, well, what do you mean by that? Um, the cortisol levels are high. Why is this not Cushing's? How can stress do that? Well, I'm reminded of back when I was in my training in endocrinology at Johns Hopkins, and we were asked to do 24-hour urine cortisols to see if we would qualify for participation in a research study that my mentor was doing. And I had urine cortisol of 140. That was in an assay where about 80 was the upper limit of normal. So I was almost twice normal. It was repeated, as I recall, and the result was similarly elevated. And I didn't look Cushingoid, didn't feel Cushingoid, and haven't developed Cushing syndrome since. 
And to me, it was rather clear that that elevated cortisol level was probably just the stress of being in training and working hard. Uh, so I wasn't the only one in the world working hard. Uh, some of my other colleagues had elevated cortisol levels as well, as I suspect many people in high stress situations or jobs or even maybe moderate stress jobs would have high cortisol levels but not truly have Cushing syndrome. When I was in my training, we, we thought we pretty much had a reasonable approach to the evaluation and management of Cushing syndrome. We used cutoffs that were determined by studies at the NIH, even though we didn't feel like they really applied to the outpatient setting because those cutoffs were established in the inpatient setting. And we've learned a lot uh, through additional research over the years about sort of the fact that our cutoffs needed to be reset to sort of diagnose patients with mild disease. And, and we've done that. Uh, and um, it makes us take seriously some patients who have levels that aren't uh, as dramatically elevated uh, as they were in some of the earlier studies. Uh, so diagnosing Cushing syndrome uh, is still somewhat rather more difficult than it was in the past, even, even though we had what we thought were defined criteria. It makes me think that we probably missed people when I was early in my training and, and my practice. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about Cushing's patients is they will progress, they will become worse, and they will declare themselves as having the disease process. Uh, it's just a matter of trying to diagnose earlier before people have some of the adverse uh, irreversible outcomes of the, of the disease process. Uh, and that's what we like to do in this modern uh, day of uh, uh, the practice of endocrinology. So we're still working on that. Uh, I still think that we should proceed in a logical stepwise fashion with things like the urine cortisol and the dexamethasone suppression test being screening tests. Uh, if they're normal, you're probably normal, but if they're abnormal, you, you probably have the disease or you, you still may not have the disease, however, but you probably do. Uh, but they require further study. Urine cortisol levels that are higher than two to three times normal are considered diagnostic. Um, salivary cortisol profile, I think, is a useful test. Some use the late midnight salivary cortisol, but uh, late or midnight salivary cortisol, but I still consider that to be a screening test as well. Uh, some of the old-fashioned tests, including the formal two-day dexamethasone suppression test or the dexamethasone CRH stimulation test, are considered to be diagnostic tests. And then after you sort of secure the diagnosis of hypercortisolism, you can proceed with imaging studies of the pituitary if the ACTH is detectable. Uh, and if you don't find a tumor, then you can proceed with petrosal sinus sampling. Uh, and then obviously, uh, if uh, you think there's a case of ectopic ACTH production, you proceed with evaluation for a neuroendocrine tumor. But if things look like adrenal from the outset, you do a CT scan of the adrenals at that time. Um, Gary Wand, my mentor at Hopkins, told me that it's uh, you know, best not to take shortcuts in the evaluation management of patients with Cushing syndrome because you're going to lead to errors in judgment and, and uh, recommendations regarding treatment. And I, I do believe that with Cushing's, that's probably more true than almost any other pituitary disorder that I see, that uh, you need to take things in a stepwise fashion and develop a degree of certainty about a, a diagnosis. Um, and you need to understand as patients that sometimes results are equivocal and a tincture of time is necessary to see how things will declare. 
Um, everybody wants to move on to a swift uh, diagnosis and treatment, uh, but that's not always possible. Uh, and that's because of the nature of biology. Um, this is the era of the coronavirus, and I think about the fact that some people get sick and, and have uh, have uh, a mild illness, whereas other people get sick and die. Uh, even if they don't have any underlying illnesses that increase the risk of death due to coronavirus. And uh, other people are asymptomatic carriers of the disease and probably develop antibodies and immunity, but had not even a sniffle. Uh, so it, it basically says that there's extreme biologic variability with coronavirus infections, which is true of influenza, which is true of other illnesses as well. And uh, there's a lot of biological variability uh, in the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis amongst people, responses to stress, uh, disease states, etc. So sometimes you, you can expect that it's going to be difficult to arrive at a diagnostic conclusion. Uh, one of the things that I have long believed for 20 years now and practiced by is the diurnal variation in cortisol secretion because that's telling me this is a normal biological phenomenon to have cortisol levels highest upon awakening, half of that in your afternoon and uh, a tenth of that uh, prior to bedtime. Uh, so uh, basically the cellular cortisol profile is looking at that biology uh, and excluding the biological variability of responses to stress and environment and et cetera that might raise the 24-hour urine cortisol. So that's enough for now. It's uh, just some thoughts about uh, evaluation of patients with hypercortisolism and applying the salivary cortisol profile to uh, get more information than other tests can provide. So uh, as usual, please feel free to send us your questions and your comments. Once again, this is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. You have been listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. This is Jorge Fascinetti. Thank you for listening.